Let's uh, all turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 13, and uh, by the grace of God, we're going to cover the whole chapter, verses 1 to 37. It's always a challenge for me to complete a chapter, but we're going to, in faith, believe we'll get through it uh, this morning. Father, I thank you uh, for drawing us here to this place. I thank you for uh, the words that we're going to read this morning. Lord, such hope, Lord, that we have as believers. Lord, the, the soon return of Jesus Christ. And Lord, with anticipation, we are waiting and we are looking and we are watching. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would speak your truth into our hearts, that you would stir the coals of our hearts this morning, Lord, with just that thought of someday being face to face with you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning's message, I titled it the Olivet Discourse in uh, End Times Prophecy. And that's really what this whole chapter 13 of the Gospel of Mark is committed to. It's actually for Jesus, uh, this was the longest teaching that Jesus gave on prophecy. It's here in uh, the Gospels. We actually find this Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, which we covered a while back and we spent four weeks in that chapter. That's why I say, let's see if we can get through it today. But we spent four weeks in Matthew chapter 24. You can... uh, Listen to those teachings on our website. But this, uh, this Olivet Discourse is also found here in our 13th chapter of Mark and also in Luke chapter 17. You need to read all three of them to kind of pull uh, some different uh, parts from them to get that full picture. And I'll be bouncing around a little bit today. I think we're going to have the Scriptures up on the screen so it's easier for you to, to see. This Olivet Discourse that it's called is because it was uh, the teaching that Jesus gave on uh, this mount that was uh, right off the east side of the Temple Mount. It actually, when you're on the uh, uh, Mount of Olives, it just has this eye shot, this view of the Temple Mount. Jesus had spent... The whole day, as we have read over the the last couple weeks, he spent the whole day uh, teaching and also being confronted by the religious leaders up on the Temple Mount. Uh, We are now just a few days away from Jesus going to the cross. But on this particular day, Jesus leaves that Temple Mount again. He leaves with his disciples And as he's leaving there, one of the disciples comes to Jesus in verse 1 and says, Teacher, uh, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, what's important to note and why I believe that the disciples are asking this question of Jesus you have to go to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 23, verse 38 and 39. And in that particular account, which is parallel to this, Jesus said, prior to Matthew 24, He says, See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see Me no more till you say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. These were words that I believe caught the disciples' attention. The temple uh, that was there on on the mount in the Lord's day, it wasn't the first temple for the Jews. The first temple for Israel was built by King Solomon. And King Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians when they took Judah into captivity in 586 B.C. The next temple that would uh, arise for Israel would be built by Ezra. Now Ezra 
would uh, begin this temple, but it was actually Herod the Great that would take this temple mount where the temple stood, and he would expand the whole temple mount, and he would actually take the temple, and he would take all the existing buildings, and he would enlarge the whole temple mount. That work of King Herod the Great was completed around 10 B.C., And so here we have this setting with Jesus and his disciples, this temple that had been in that, in that place for all of their life. All that they knew was this temple that was there on the mount. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he lived uh, from 37 AD to about 100 AD. He records of Herod the Great his interest in perpetuating his name through his building projects. Now, if you go to Israel today, you'll see some remains, and some of them you don't see much of the remains, but they know what these things were. And he was an architect. He was a builder. And he took great pride in taking on some of the largest projects that you find in Israel today. He said of Herod the Great, he said his, uh, through these building projects that his construction programs, which were extensive and they were paid for by heavy taxes that were put upon the people, but that his masterpiece of building was the temple of Jerusalem. Herod saw this temple, he saw it as a task, and he made it into this magnificent temple and all of the buildings that surrounded it. The parallel to uh, our gospel here in Luke 21.5, it says this, that some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. We've heard, uh, or I've shared on numerous occasions that the pride of Israel was their law. And it was also the land that God had given to them. It was also the temple that God had given to Israel. This was the pride of Israel. And so I set this stage for you to understand that when Jesus left the Temple Mount on that day, as He made that statement about this temple becoming desolate, that alarmed the disciples. They were actually confused by His words. We read on now in chapter 13, verse 1. Then as Jesus went out of the temple, He was heading back with His disciples, probably back to Bethany where He was going to spend another night. And one of His disciples said to Him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Now, what he means by see what manner of stones is that some of these stones that made up the temple and the buildings that were there up on the Temple Mount, some of these stones were 50 tons or more. They were hewed out of solid rock, these massive stones. And here the disciple or this disciple is saying to to Jesus, teacher, see what manner of stones that are here that make up this building. Jesus then turns around and answers them and, him and says to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Those words would have made their jaws drop. They would have heard that statement by the Lord that not one of these stones, these massive stones that made up this temple mount, will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. I think for the moment, though, they were afraid to ask. How is that going to happen? Who's going to do this? And how is that going to come to pass? Jesus, now we're told in verse 3, now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, When they came out of that east gate, they would walk down a pathway that would take them down into the Kidron Valley, and then they would come up the other side, and they would be on the Mount of Olives. It was the place where the Garden of Gethsemane was, where Jesus went often to pray at. 
And here they are now heading that way. They're going to go over the top of the Mount of Olives back to Bethany where they're going to spend, spend the night. But as they go, we're told that as they sat on the Mount of Olives, probably facing the Temple Mount, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they came to Jesus privately to ask him this question. They wanted to know, because I think still they're reeling from the words that Jesus had just said. And they said, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? They asked him two questions. In Mark's gospel here, Jesus is really only going to deal with the second question that's recorded in Mark's gospel. The first was, though, tell us when will these things be? In other words, when are these things going to happen? I mean, they they could not even wrap their head around how this could come to pass. This temple had been standing for 586 years. It was part of Israel's history. It was part of everything that every Jew knew. It was the pride of Israel that was sitting there on that temple mount. And Jesus here is telling them a prophecy. He's telling them in advance that this temple was going to be torn down stone by stone. Telling something in advance, by the way, is prophecy. That's prophecy. You tell somebody what's going to happen before it happens. Jesus is telling His disciples that this temple was going to be torn down. But notice that Jesus, He doesn't give them any details. He doesn't tell them uh, how it's going to be torn down, who's going to tear it down. He just simply says that it's going to be taken down stone by stone. The only way that we know this happened is that history tells us that it did. Actually, in 70 AD, the Roman emperor and military commander Titus, he came into that city with his armies, and he came there to lay siege of the city. According to Josephus again, when he came into that city, he came in there to kill every living Jew that was there. And and according to Josephus, that was over a million Jews that lost their lives to Titus and his armies. They also took and began to tear down the temple and the walls and to take them apart stone by stone. This first question that they had for Jesus, tell us when these things will be, tell us when these things will be fulfilled, was important to know. But Jesus knew when that was going to take place. He knew that this temple was going to be destroyed. It wasn't going to really answer the question in their minds though. Because you see, the Jews saw that these two questions had to do with really one question. And it really had to do is, when is our Messiah going to come? When is He going to set up His kingdom here on earth? When is He going to deliver us from the oppression of the Romans? That's really what the disciples were wanting to know from the Lord. We know that in 70 AD, that temple was dismantled. But we also know that there's coming a third temple that's going to be built. It's going to be during the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time that has yet to be fulfilled. There's going to be a peace agreement or a covenant that the Antichrist is going to make with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel. And I believe it's going to be through that covenant that he's going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 27, we read, Then he, and that he, I believe, is speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. Now, this is something that 
has not yet been fulfilled. And the only way that the Jews can have sacrifices is they have to have a temple. And so I believe that we're going to see, and we won't see it, the church, but I believe that this world is going to see a third temple that is going to be built. And it's going to, uh, by the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to change his tune. He's going to put his image within the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. The second question that the disciples asked the Lord that day is what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? The disciples that day or that moment may have been thinking about the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. And it was a a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. Now, the disciples weren't dumb to the prophets and what they had spoken of concerning the prophets. And they may have been thinking of this. We read in Zechariah 14.4, And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it towards the south. In their minds, they were looking for their Messiah to come. When the Messiah comes, it was going to be a dramatic event when He came into uh, Jerusalem. And they may have been thinking that Jesus was speaking of this coming day that He would come as Messiah. Now what's interesting though for for the Jews or for these disciples is that this prophecy that we're reading of here in Zechariah uh, is not really going to be fulfilled until the end of the tribulation period. This is a prophecy that will be fulfilled right at the end of the tribulation. If you want to read ahead in those chapters, you could read Zechariah chapter 14 all the way through chapter, excuse me, chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14 that speaks specifically of this coming day. The disciples were thinking, when is this going to take place? When is the Messiah going to deliver us from our oppressors? That was always the question in the disciples' minds. But the primary question that Jesus deals with here in Mark's Gospel will be, what will be the sign when all of these things are fulfilled? I believe that Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 17, they all speak specifically of a period of time that we call the tribulation period. The tribulation period is going to be a seven-year period of time, and I believe a literal seven-year period of time. We read about that in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It's called the 70th, 70 weeks of Daniel. But as you read that prophecy in Daniel 9, we can see that 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled. There is still one week that has not yet been fulfilled that is still future. It's called the 70th week of Daniel, or we call it the tribulation period. And so the timeline of events, if you didn't know this, but I'll remind you if you do, the timeline of events are going to be First, you have the church age. We're living in the church age now. This has been going on for drawing close to 2,000 years. The church age began on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem after Jesus had risen from the dead. Almost 40 years later, that temple that Jesus said to His disciples was going to be torn down stone by stone, in 70 A.D., it happened, just as Jesus had prophesied. The next event, with no other prophecies that need to be fulfilled, I believe is going to be the rapture of the church. We are in a waiting place right now, church. 
There is no prophecies that we're looking in our Bible that are no scripture that says this has to happen before Jesus Christ can take the church to be with him. I believe that it's going to happen in a moment that you think not. There's going to be a taking away of the church. It's the rapture of the church. You see, most people don't struggle with the rapture because we got to get into heaven some way. Those that are alive and remain, they have to get into heaven some way. And it's going to happen by translation. God's going to take, we're going to have new bodies, whether you're dead or whether you're alive, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord at the rapture of the church. This still is... Amen. <laughs> the other main event that we need to keep our eyes upon. If you if you study or look at Bible prophecy at all, I would suggest that you keep your eyes on Ezekiel 38 and 39. As we are living in days right now and you watch the nations around us that are listed in those chapters, those nations are lining up as we speak. You're going to you're going to be able to, you know, some Bible uh, prophecy teachers believe that uh, the event of the rapture will happen prior to Ezekiel 39 or shortly after. I think that it's very uh, possible or probable that the church will be taken away before uh, Russia and all of the armies with Russia come down upon Israel. That again is in this first period called the church age. Following the church age, we have the tribulation period, this seven-year period of time that's going to start with a, a covenant that the Antichrist is going to make with the nation of Israel. It's going to be, if you want to say, the starting mark, the starting point for the seven-year tribulation period. There's nothing that says in Scripture that the church is going to be raptured, uh, uh, that, or excuse me, that the tribulation is going to begin immediately. In other words, the moment that the church is raptured. There could be a period of time, there's going to be a peace agreement, the covenant that's going to be made, and that is going to be the starting point for the 70th week of Daniel. After three and a half years of that tribulation period, there's going to uh, come a point in which the Antichrist with the uh, false prophet are going to come in and demand, he's going to set up his image in the middle of the tribulation period and demand that he be worshipped as God. Three and a half years after that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why do I say all this? Because it's important when you read... Uh, this account here in, in Mark's Gospel or in Matthew 24, it's important that you know that what Jesus is dealing with here is not the rapture of the church. There's other scriptures that deal with the rapture. What we're reading about here in Mark's Gospel chapter 13 has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Following uh, the tribulation period, uh, there's going to be also a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, which I take as a literal reign of Christ. And we too are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth. The first thing that Jesus does in answering their question was that he warns them about a coming deception. Look at your Bibles at verse 5. And Jesus answered them. This is the first thing that he said in answer to those questions. He answered them and began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. I shared that the tribulation period uh, begins really with the Antichrist making this covenant, but it's going to be at that point that the Antichrist is going to be revealed to this world. He's going to be a, a man that is going to come on the scene, that is going to be possessed by Satan, that he is going to have the plan, he's going to have the, you know, and he's going to come on the scene, and many of the Jews are going to buy into the lie. 
many of the Jews are going to look and this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah that was prophesied. The one we've been looking for. And so you see why Jesus would be saying to His disciples here, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in My name saying, I am He, and will deceive many. In Revelation chapter 6, Revelation 6 is the beginning in the book of Revelation. It's the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. It's also the opening of the first set of judgments called the seven seal judgments. We read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, this is after the rapture of the church. This is at the beginning of the tribulation period. And the first of the seven seals is opened. We read in chapter 6, verse 2. And I, John, looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. And I want you to notice that this person that is on this white horse... uh, He has a bow, but he has no arrow in it. He has a crown. He comes in that fashion. But he comes conquering to conquer. And this is not the white horse that we read about in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back with ten thousands of His saints and He comes back on that horse. This is, I believe, the white horse of deception the white horse that's going to start out the tribulation period, the rider, I believe, of this horse is going to be the Antichrist. Jesus went on in verse 7 to give more details to His disciples about the things to come. Remember, this is all going to lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7 to them, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. This, these wars and rumors of wars are going to be brought on by the Antichrist. It's going to be a false peace in the beginning of the tribulation period. But this false peace is going to begin to turn into smaller wars. And these smaller wars are going to then uh, begin to uh, multiply into wars that are going to become more global during the tribulation period. When the second seal is opened in Revelation chapter 6, verse 3, we see that there's going to be, by this seal, there's going to be conflict on the earth. It says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And we see another horse that's fiery red going out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And so we see here in this second seal, we see war, we see conflict, and we see death that is happening. This is progressing as we move through the tribulation period. Then Jesus says to them in verse 7, Do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. And the end, he's speaking of the end of the tribulation period. Remember that Jesus is still answering the question to His disciples, What will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? That's what they were wanting to know. And ultimately, Jesus is going to lead them up to the second coming. Jesus went on in verse 8. And I want you to notice that these things are progressing as we go. Verse 8, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles. These, Jesus says, are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, 
These are just the start of the birth pains. That's what the word sorrows is speaking of. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. We're still in the first half of the tribulation period. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, wars that were uh, turning into now a global magnitude. And we also read that there's going to be, during this first half and all the way through the tribulation period, earthquakes. He says there will be earthquakes in various places. Now, if you look up the word earthquakes in the book of Revelation, you'll see that there are seven times that earthquakes are spoken of in the book of Revelation. The first is in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. It says, John says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. That's at the opening of the sixth seal, still in the first half of the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 8, verse 5. We read, Then the angel took the censer filled with fire from the altar, and he threw it to the earth. And there were great noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. I can just tell you there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on during this seven-year tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, in that same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, listen to this, in this one earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Very specific, and I take that literally. Just as it reads, just as it says. Revelation 11.19 Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of His covenant was seen in His temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and, were, and it adds on, and great hail, which is speaking about hailstones. And then lastly, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 18, we read, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. And then look, look what it says. Such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. I don't want to be there for that one. I come from California. We're used to earthquakes there. I think the biggest one I ever felt was probably a, I don't know, might have been a seven. You know, and that's, you get shaken with a seven, you know. I, this is going to be where it, it's going to be unimaginable. I, I don't know what a 10 looks like, but it's going to be of a magnitude that is going to shake the very core of this earth. Revelation chapter 6 um, also speaks, um, let me see here. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 also speaks of when the third seal is, is broken and opened up. It, it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Scales were used are used for measuring things. And here I believe it's the measuring out of food. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And so in, even in the breaking of these seals, there's going to be a shortage of food, the prices for food are going to skyrocket. They're going to go, and you might be thinking, man, I thought we were there already. But it's going to be very difficult to be able to even have enough food and what you'll pay to get it. These, we're told, are just the beginning of sorrows. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. It's going to get worse. 
in Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 through 8, when he had opened up the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name on him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. By this fourth seal, uh, this horseman, this pale horse that comes on the scene in the first part of the tribulation period, it's going to one-fourth of the world population is going to be killed by them. Just to wrap your head around what that might look like, the world population today is 7.8 billion people. Take the church out of that number. The remainder stay. And one-fourth of that population that's here on earth is going to perish by this time. Verse 9, Jesus goes on to say, but, say, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. This is all Jewish. The, the, the disciples asking this question are hearing what Jesus is saying. This is, remember that the seven-year tribulation period has a focus upon the nation of Israel. It's the 70th week of Daniel being fulfilled. And here we have Jesus warning the nation of Israel, warning His disciples here, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils. And you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for the testimony to them. And so we see that martyrdom is going to be taking place during the tribulation period. A parallel passage in Matthew 24.9 reads this way, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The words delivered up. They're actually words uh, that were used uh, of Judas who betrayed Jesus to deliver someone up. And it's actually a a word or words that are used uh, when somebody's arrested by the police or by military. And so during the tribulation period, there's going to be a lot of changes that are going on. I think we're seeing the prelude to those things now, aren't we? We're seeing a a world right now that is really coming unglued at its seams around us. Just wait until the church is removed. Just wait until the Antichrist is in control. Just wait until the the spirit of Antichrist and and everything that's going on is during the tribulation period, what it will be like. Martyrdom during the tribulation period, I believe will be rampant. Ten years ago, and I just started thinking about this, how far back in my mind do I think, can I even wrap my head around the thought of when ISIS is coming on the scene and beginning to to behead people and and, and do these horrendous things that we see happening on a regular basis in our world today. We weren't thinking about that 10 years ago like we are today. We're seeing it unfolding in front of us. And and so it becomes a real reality to us to be able to see this seven-year tribulation period, how terrible it could be, how violent it could be, how aggressive it will be, even towards those who give their life to Jesus Christ during this time. In verse 10... Jesus went on to say, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. There's going to be, during the tribulation time, there's going to be global 
evangelizing that's going to be happening during this time. Matthew 24, 14 reads this way, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Interesting that, you know, Jesus even uh, says in, in this, he says, even during the tribulation period, that gospel of grace and mercy is going out to this world. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, we read, John saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. God's going to use even an angel flying through the midst of heaven, proclaiming the everlasting gospel to the inhabitants of the earth. God is also going to accomplish this by the 144,000 Jews that are going to be sealed by God, that are going to be in a sense like Jewish evangelists that are going to be out proclaiming the gospel during the tribulation period. There's going to be the two witnesses that are going to be prophesying for three and a half years that are also going to give witness of the Lord. And so we, Jesus is telling them the signs leading up to His second coming. Now look at verse 11 back in Mark. But when they arrest you, and, and see, all of this preaching of the gospel, what does it lead to? It leads to persecution. You can try that today if you want. Start sharing your faith. But those that are going to be sharing their faith during the tribulation period, it's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. When they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father and a father his child, and the children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. There's going to be even those family raising up against family. It's amazing how violent somebody can get for the gospel's sake. We see it today for just mentioning the name of Jesus. Just bring up anything about your Christian faith. Bring up anything that you stand for and see how people will respond. Not everyone. There's lots of people that will respond with, tell me more. But there are many that will not respond that way. And I can't even imagine what it will be like during the tribulation period. Now we come to the second half. That was just the first half of the tribulation. Now the second half of the tribulation period, the last three and a half years that starts, as I've already said, with the desolation of abomination. When the Antichrist sets up his image in the middle of the tribulation period, that is going to be the marker that starts the second half of the tribulation period. We read in Daniel 9.27, then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolation. And so Daniel prophesies of this event that will happen in the middle of the tribulation period. Also in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, we read of the same thing. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Also prophesied in Daniel 11. 
Paul spoke of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He wrote, let no one deceive you. Paul is saying this to the church at Thessalonica. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means. What does he mean by it? He's talking about deception here, isn't he? For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And look what he says. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Here's Paul referring to this event that is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. He talks about a great falling away, and he also talks about the Antichrist setting up his image in the temple in the middle of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 13, verse 14. It starts out by saying, and he deceives, remember Jesus says, don't be deceived uh, to his disciples, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as, who would, as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There's a lot being said right now in prophetical circles about the mark of the beast, the coming mark, you know, uh, the, the, the shot, the virus stuff, all, all this stuff and, and what we have. But there is coming a point, and I believe that this is preludes. I, think, I am of the opinion that all that we're seeing now is preludes. I don't think as Christians that we need to be afraid that we're going to somehow be deceived in taking the mark We're going to be raptured. We're going to be gone. I believe that this mark of the beast, which is going to be an allegiance to the Antichrist, is going to happen uh, during the tribulation period when people can't buy nor sell unless they have the mark. That's going to be more of this allegiance to the beast that is going to seal their fate of not being able to to be saved. Once you make that commitment to the image of the beast. And so we don't need to be sitting here worried about it. Worried whether or not somebody's going to deceive. Oh, I got the mark. You know, I started thinking about that on my phone the other day. You know, and I, all I have to do is tilt it up and it takes me right into my account. and go, man, I'm already buying into it. But it's preludes, isn't it? It's all this stuff going on around us that I believe is setting the stage for what's to come. We read in the book of Daniel uh, another prophecy concerning this abomination of desolation. It tells us that when this abomination takes place, that there's going to be 1290 days before the end of the tribulation comes. We read, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, talking about set up in the temple, there will be 1,290 days. Now, if the equivalent of that is three and a half years. The Antichrist sets up his image in the temple. The Jews realize they've been deceived. They flee to the wilderness. And that starts the clock, so to speak, 1,290 days. I take it as a literal 1,290 days that you could really, if you knew the Bible, you knew what you were looking at, you could count down from that moment to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 14. We're going to make it. the second half of the tribulation. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the readers understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, let me ask you, who's in Judea? I mean, what land is that? Who's living in that land? That's the nation of Israel. This is all Jewish. Jesus is telling his disciples, when this comes to pass, you need to flee. You need to flee into the wilderness. 
He he goes on to say in verse 15, let him who is on the housetop not go down. They used to eat up on the housetop, lounge on the house. Let him not go down to the house, nor enter to take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are uh, are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight be not in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. I, just those words alone, I, that should make a person tremble. That should cause a person to go, whoa, nor shall ever be. When you think of the, the, the turmoil and the, the things that have gone on in our world and even in our lifetime, and here, the second half of the tribulation, a warning. Flee. Don't go back. The Antichrist and his armies are going to be seeking to annihilate you once again. You need to flee to the mountains. Flee to the deserts. I believe that they're going to end up in Petra, that city of Petra, where God is going to supernaturally uh, preserve have his hand upon a remnant of Israel during this second half of the tribulation period. By the way, the trumpet judgments are going to begin and the bowl judgments are going to happen during this second half of the tribulation period. It's going to be horrendous. Jesus then tells them that in those days, it's going to be so bad. The conditions are going to be so bad that he needed to shorten the time. Because if he didn't shorten the time, there wouldn't be one human being that would survive. He says in verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. God's mercy. God's mercy towards mankind. That He would actually in His plan of redemption for mankind, but also His judgments upon a Christ-rejecting world, He still, He shortened the time. He shortened the days so that there would be a remnant of His people that would be saved. So that there would be many. And there are going to be many during the tribulation period that are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. John saw that vision. He says, who are these and where did they come from? He saw this multitude of people that were in heaven. And it was said to him by the angel, these are they that have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes. There are going to be many that are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Not a bad idea to warn your relatives and warn your... If you find yourself in the tribulation period, if you find all of a sudden a bunch of Christians gone from this earth... Start reading the book of Revelation. Start reading your Bible. Start preparing yourself for what's ahead. Verse 21, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Remember, he's speaking to the Jews here. He's speaking really to the nation of Israel in this context here. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or look, He is there. Do not believe it. And I believe this is going to be even when they flee out to Petra, when they flee out into the wilderness where God is going to protect, there's still going to be the Antichrist. There's going to be the false prophet that is uh, these Antichrists that are going to want to deceive. And so, again, in verse 21, Jesus is warning here about deception. There's going to be great deception during the tribulation period. It's interesting that if you go to Israel today and you ask a Jew, how will you know when Messiah has come? Many Jews today that are practicing Jews will say, we believe when when the Messiah comes, He will allow us to rebuild our temple. That's one of the things they're really looking for. They got all the plans, they're ready to go. When we can rebuild our, when we can go back to sacrificing again, deception. 
And when that Antichrist comes on the scene and he rolls out on that white horse and he has that plan, that peace plan that doesn't turn into a peace plan, and he eventually sets himself up in that image, in that, in that temple. Deception. The Antichrist and the false prophet together, both of them working together during this time, seeking to deceive God's elect. Who's the elect here? I don't believe the elect is the church. I believe the elect in context of what we're reading here is the Jew. In the end, we're told in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence. And then look, look what it says, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. You see, they go out to deceive. Jesus started this out by warning his disciples not to be deceived when these things come. Verse 22, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And and, and they're going to have, and I believe they're going to have these deceptive ways of, of even tricking God's people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, during the, even the elect. Revelation chapter 13, verse 12. And the false prophet exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even fire comes down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he, what? He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Signs and wonders. Deception that is going to be rampant during this time. Jesus went on to say in verse 23, but take heed. See, I have told you these things beforehand. God always does that, doesn't He? First He warns, and then it happens. He says, this is what's going to happen, and then it does. You see, that's, that's our God. What God says He's going to do. When God gives a warning, it will happen that way. When you read your Bibles and you read these things in a literal way, and you say, that's what's going to happen. I can't figure it out. I can't wrap my... But that's what's going to happen. There's so many prophecies that people wrestled with for so long trying to figure out, how's that going to happen? How could all these line up? How could all this happen? And it does And we've seen it in our own lifetime. Just the nation of Israel coming back into their land. Verse 24, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Not to be confused with the rapture of the church. We're talking about the second coming at the end of the tribulation period. After all of these things have transpired, Jesus then gets to answering that question to His disciples what will the sign be? When, you, when the Messiah comes, what will the sign be? When will you return? What will be? And Jesus just gave what it will be in that day. God is going to, at this point, He's going to gather His elect. 
the scriptures tell us that God is going to save a remnant of his people Israel. Don't ask me why. They're living in unbelief today. There are Jews that get saved today, but there are many that are living in unbelief today. When I say don't ask me why, is because I'm not God. I'm, I, I, I don't know that I approach it like God. God is merciful and gracious. But here's the other thing about God. God cannot lie. He will fulfill His promises. The promises that He made to the nation of Israel, the covenants that He made with His people, He cannot renege upon them. He must fulfill what He said He will do. And God is going to save a remnant of His people. I believe when you read in your book of Revelation, you read the word elect. It's speaking of His people, the nation of Israel. A remnant of His people are going to be saved at the very end of the tribulation period. Look at verse 27. And then God will send His angels and He's going to gather together, here it is again, His elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. God is going to gather. I don't know how that's going to come to pass, but He's going to gather His elect from all the four corners of the earth. Jesus finishes this teaching with giving His disciples now a warning about the things to come. He says, take heed. He says, watch and pray. Look at verse 28. Now learn the parable, He says to His disciples. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When His branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. He's telling them, you'll know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the door. He's given all the things just right here. He's given them all the signs, what to look for. Know that it's at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation and the generation that I believe Jesus is referring to here is the generation of Jews, the generation of those that are going to be to see these things come to pass. He says, assuredly, I say to you, this generation that sees these things come to pass will by no means pass away till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There are going to be many that are going to be caught unaware. There are going to be many that are not watching. Just like when it comes to the rapture today and being caught off guard, there are going to be Christians that are going about their business, not ready for the Lord's return. They're not making themselves ready. And then that rapture happens and then that time comes. There will be those that will be living and here and existing during the tribulation period that are not watching. They don't know their word. They're not looking for the signs. They don't know what to be looking for. Jesus is warning here in these Scriptures for all who would read these Scriptures. He goes on and He says, verse 33, Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to what? He commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Be ready. Watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest you come suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We need to be ready, Christians, for the rapture. Those during the tribulation period need to be watching and ready. And looking because just as sure as the rapture is going to come, the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to come. And at that point, when Jesus Christ comes back, 
The people during the tribulation, there's going to be multiple millions of people that are going to perish. There are going to be those that are going to survive. There are going to be people that will survive, that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that will survive the tribulation period. Many won't. Many will have to die for their faith. But there will be many that will need to be watching and ready. Jesus here, He gave words of comfort. Really in this, He gave words of, uh, of comfort and peace. He's telling them that He was going to go away uh, someday. He, he told His disciples that in John's Gospel. He says, I'm going to go away. And if I go away, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you to Myself. It's, a, it's, it's really a sense, another prophecy that Jesus gave. I'm coming back. And I, and I hope that every one of us here as Christians that we are convinced in our heart by faith. We, just, we are convinced in our heart that we're that Lord's coming back. And, and I'm convinced in my heart that I'm ready to meet Him. If He were to come back today, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to stand face to face before my Lord. I think we need to take the words that we read today and we need to take it very serious as Christians. Not for ourselves, but even for those family members and those people that don't know Christ. What we read here is going to come to pass. And we need to be ready as a church. But we also need to be anticipating Christ's return for His church. That we're going to go home to be with Him in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ are going to rise first and those of us that are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air. And there we shall ever be. I mean, that's what I'm waiting for. Mark chapter 13. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus answered their questions to them. What signs, what things should we be looking for? Here it is. Don't be deceived. These things will come to pass. You know, so we have information here. We can share with those that haven't received Christ. If I'm gone one day, please. Look in your Bible. Look at, look at the book of Revelation. You know, start reading your Bible because there's going to be things that are going to come upon this earth. You see, if that's a real reality to you, if you believe what we just read today is going to come to pass, it should compel us.